0: I was on this work trip and was talking to this flight attendant, she's like, oh my gosh, you live in San Luis Obispo, you're the luckiest girl in the world. And I said, you know, I know that I'm lucky, but I think you're the lucky one. You, you get to be everywhere and, and fly around and see it all. And I said, if I had to do it over again, I would have become a flight attendant. And she looks at me, and she goes, honey, do over again? She goes, I'm 50 years old. I started this when I was 47, we're hiring.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the half hour intern. In today's episode, I interview flight attendant Corinne Ryan. Corinne is such a great person to interview for this because one, she is really candid. So she really goes over what it is like to be a flight attendant and answers all of my questions about like the interesting goings on on planes and like, do you hate us for not listening to the pre flight demo and all that kind of stuff? And as well, she is so excited and happy about being a flight attendant. I don't think I have ever been so sold on a job as uh, while I was interviewing Corinne about being a flight attendant. It sounds absolutely awesome. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Without further ado, here is Flight Attendant. Corinne, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you.
1: I can't wait to hear what your life is like. I feel like this is one of the like really high up their jobs where everyone kind of wants a peek behind the curtain to know what it's like. So why don't we start there with like, what the hell do you do? Like when you, (laughs) uh, like take us through a typical day when you pull up in the morning in the parking lot, you park your car, like what happens next? What do you do?
0: I, I, I cannot stress enough that no two days are the same and no flight attendant experiences the same thing every day. So I can tell you what I did on this trip um this, trip, <laughs> okay, this perfect. trip. We left uh we left our hub uh Dallas yesterday morning around nine o'clock. We flew so we had to be to the airport um two hours before we left. You know, boarding is thirty-five minutes before uh departure, so we obviously have to be on the plane before that. This plane or this trip I'm working the galley position. So I'm in, in main cabin in coach um all the way in the back of the plane and i put together all the food and drink carts and then go out and help with the service after that so uh, while boarding was going on i'm you know breaking ice making a venture racket in the back of the plane you know organizing all the snacks that we overcharge for we you know going through oh it's this route they drink more oh uh so our our first leg of this trip uh or was from dallas to los angeles Los Angeles people drink a lot of water. So I load more water on the cart. You just pick up all these little kind of things to put in the back of your mind. That's
1: so interesting. So this isn't isn't like some sort of advanced analytics by the agency you work for. It's just like, uh, you know, word of mouth from the other flight attendants and you yourself noticing these things. So you take care of that.
0: Yeah, kind of a combination of the two. Uh, I would say that word of mouth kind of governs governs our habits during the day they do prepare uh to some extent uh flights over 3 hours we have fresh food available sometimes we sell a lot of fr- you know certain routes we sell a lot of fresh food um other routes we sell less so like this route we sell a ton of fresh food so i had you know 30 sandwiches and 16 uh fruit and cheese trays for sale. And then, you know, all the dry snacks, the Pringles, Gardetto's, all the stuff that makes you extra super bloated and super thirsty at (laughs) 35,000 feet. So, um, so this, this route um, does have a reputation for lots of water and selling lots of fresh food. So, you know, make sure the carts are all loaded up with that stuff. Um, after all the customers are loaded, we do our little safety demo and then take off. So, um, we actually, this is, this is crazy and, and something that I would love the entire world to know. And, you know, maybe it will create a little more empathy for flight attendants. We actually don't start getting paid our hourly rate until the boarding door is closed.
1: How is that so, even allowed by the government? I, you know, I feel like that is not allowed.
0: Isn't that crazy? And then it stops when that, once that boarding door is open. So, you know, all that time of loading the plane and unloading the plane, the time where we're, you know, helping you find a spot for your luggage and helping you with your seat and it's all crowded and chaos, we're actually only getting paid our per diem rate. Isn't that wild? What the hell? I know. So, you know, oftentimes. What you, so, you'll... what do you mean?
1: Br- break apart your pay for us. What do you mean your per diem rate versus your okay. hourly?
0: So, uh, we are, most of the major airlines have uh, unions. Um, you know, or some type of collective bargaining organization that negotiates between the work groups and the company makes sense. You know, there's 20 plus thousand people negotiating for one job, right? Mm-hmm. So um, within that, there are work rules and there are negotiated pay rates and then, you know, sub rules and exceptions and all the stuff that goes along with it. So um, our pay, and and this is from what I understand industry wide with a few exceptions, Um, our pay goes from door closed to door open, so actual flight time, except our per diem, and per diem starts at sign-in until sign-out. So we get our per diem by the hour for the duration of the trip. Right now for domestic, it's $2.10, and for international, it's $2.40. So technically, the 35 minutes that it takes to board the plane uh myself and my fellow coworkers. Again, that sweet sweet reward- two dollars an hour. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So we we got about a dollar to get yelled at by everybody because they're <laughs> like their middle seats Yeah. And then yelled at a little bit more because somebody else took their precious, you know, overhead space or or you know, the six foot five guy doesn't want to stick his backpack, you know, where his feet are gonna are gonna go or you know. Okay, so.
1: I wanna talk about all of that so much. <laughs> but before we talk about dealing with customers and stuff, I wanna break yes, apart some of what you've already said. So Yes. Um you mentioned like this trip. I guess first of all, I would have originally thought that they just try to as often as possible give you as close to a quote unquote like nine to five job as possible. So like if you are based out of uh, <laughs> Dallas, like then they're you. just that's trying funny. to get you back to Dallas every <laughs> single night, so they're not having to pay for air, air uh, for uh, hotels and stuff like that for you.
0: Oh, Blake, um, that's
1: cute. But, no. <laughs> yeah, so you said you said yeah, like this trip. So <laughs> right. clearly that's not the case. Um, right. Explain to us what the usual trip is. And then you mentioned the per diem thing. So like right now you're not on a plane. You're quote <laughs> like, unquote on a trip. A trip too? Are you <laughs> being paid $2, $2 an podcast. hour right
0: now? Yes, sir. I am. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> did I mention where I am? Did I tell you? Uh uh-uh. I don't think I did. I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm actually on second in Brazos, which is really close to the downtown area. I'm in like the middle of the hotels. And do you know what's going on here in Austin right now?
1: That will be south by southwest.
0: Why yes, sir, it actually is. That's so awesome. so back to talking about this trip. So this trip I worked three legs or three flights. So I went Dallas to Los Angeles, unloaded the plane, reloaded, went back to Dallas, and then came down to Austin. We got here, there was a there was a delay So we didn't get in until about midnight last night. So I got to my hotel room at about 12.45 or so. And my layover is 30. It was 31 hours. It's down to 30 hours. So I have a hotel for two nights. I'm getting paid my whopping $2 an hour. And today I woke up at about nine o'clock, went and had breakfast, went for a run down on the river here in Austin, came back, had some lunch, went and laid by the pool, took a nap, and now I'm talking to you.
1: Wow, that's (laughs) a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. And it seems like it makes so little sense for the airline to me. Like, they had you right there. Like, they flew you to LA, (laughs) they they got you back to Texas. Why didn't they just cut you loose and then not pay you two bucks an hour for the next two days?
0: Isn't that hilarious? And honestly, like, I, I can't even. So, we have a department called Crew Scheduling and and we, as flight attendants, have a love-hate relationship with them. Every other month, we are on call. We don't have a set schedule. So on our on-call months, we are at their mercy. And we have essentially two hours from when they call us to get to the airport to go work a trip.
1: Whoa. So, and that's, man- right. that's mandatory, like, in your contract, you can't that is inner. Like, our- nah, I don't feel like doing that one.
0: No, it's, it's mandatory. And there are consequences, very harsh consequences, if we don't make that trip. If we don't answer our phone. When they call us, there are consequences. So, and you only
1: have two hours notice. So you could be like doing some sort of really important thing and you have to leave.
0: Yeah. Or some adult activity, like, you know, hanging out at my favorite local bar, listening to wonderful Texas music, or, you know, I could be on a horse or I, I mean, literally you, you have to. If you choose to do something like that, well, you have to be ready to fly in two hours. So there's no drinking. because Corinne, we have an I eight- love
1: how Texas, your response was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I could be on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I was great. trying to
0: think of I was trying to think of all the naughty things that I've done on reserve that I'm like, oh, my God, they're so going to call me. I just know they're going to call me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's the main one.
0: Right. So, uh, well, there are others, but I, don't, I think I'll save that for another.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> discussion. Yeah, yeah. More so, adult so, activities.
0: Right. So we have a, a an eight hour bottle to throttle rule. So no drinking eight hours before sign in. So your adult activity has to be kind of restricted. But um, if you do choose to do something that's going to inhibit your two hours to get to the airport, um, you should probably have a bag packed and ready to go. And usually I do. In the back of my Jeep is my, my gear bag and a layover bag because they could send you anywhere.
1: And that, so and now that's for every other month, you said?
0: Every other month,
1: correct. So when you're on a month like that, um, mm-hmm. do you end up with trips like this one that you're that you're on right now a lot, like where you end up not back in Texas for the night?
0: Oh, pumpkin, like this, so much worse and so much better. On reserve, I've gone to London twice, Japan once. I had 25 hours on the beach at an inclusive resort in Puerto Vallarta, and I've been to Maui. So, I mean, when I say love-hate relationship... You're going to work some all nighters, you know, TransCon all nighters. So, like, you know, leave at 10 o'clock in the morning, get there at five in the morning, and you just left Miami and landed in LA. And you're miserable and exhausted and all that. I mean, they will call you for those trips, but then they will, you know, send you to London on a Sunday afternoon. You'll get home on Tuesday, go to bed you know, Tuesday night, and they will wake you up on Wednesday and send you to Maui, which is exactly what happened to me in the middle of June this last year.
1: Okay. Now so. let's talk about hours per <laughs> week and stuff like that. Because let's say you arrive in London and you've already been working for like 60 hours that week. Is there a chance <laughs> that they might go ahead and turn you right back around from London and like fly you back to LA like immediately after that? Or when you arrive in London, or do you know that there's a pretty good chance that you get to spend about a day in London?
0: So, um, when we get to, well, once they assign us a trip pending any like terrible weather somewhere and you know, all of scheduling is messed up. Once you're on a trip, you usually stay on a trip.
1: That trip. Are you kind of linked in with other flight attendants and like captains for that plane? So like that London trip, it's when you call that a trip, like, is there other people signed up for that exact same trip?
0: Yes. So, um, so like, on well, Pilots and flight attendants used to fly together. They used to stay together, you know, their entire month. They would all fly the same sequences, unless somebody, um, or fly the same trips. I'll try to use the same terminology so I don't confuse everybody. (laughs) Um, But, um, so they would fly the same trips the whole month. The whole crew would stick together. Um, They have since separated the pilots and the flight attendants. Flight attendants fly on any number of aircraft. Pilots, when they fly, they only fly one airplane. Right. So, um, so that limits, that limits the number of trips that it just makes us more flexible if we're not tied together for the month, a little, little less fun, but you know, you know, cause it's nice to get to know people and, you know, travel with them for the whole month anyway. Yeah. So, um, if, so once the, um, so once the trip starts, you usually stay with the same pilots and the same flight attendants on this trip, we're flying the Boeing the Boeing seven thirty-seven, that's what we brought down here to Austin. And then um, on the the LA to San Francisco or the LA to Dallas, we flew the Airbus 321. So we had different pilots just because it's different equipment. But our the flight attendants stayed together.
1: Okay. So it sounds like yesterday you had what, like a fifteen hour day or something like that?
0: We I got to the airport at eleven o'clock. And I got to my hotel room at 12.45 p.m. Yes. Okay.
1: So when you've just worked like a 13-hour day, is mm-hmm. there a chance that they immediately turn you right back around the next day? Or is are you always basically getting a day of rest after that?
0: They have to give us eight hours at, in our hotel room. They, they say behind the door. So we have to be in our hotel room for eight hours. There's legislation... After um, how the, long?
1: Like, how, how long did your previous day have to be for that to be the rule?
0: The longest they can legally work us is 15 hours. 15 hours from sign-in till sign-out. Okay. And and that's when trips get screwed up and you know uh, flights get canceled because flight attendants are illegal or something. It's because we've hit 15 hours.
1: Okay, and if, if for some reason you like only signed on for a four hour, like you only flew from Los Angeles to Austin. Um, that was like your only flight all day long. Uh-huh. It was like a four hour flight. Do they uh-huh. now have to put you up in a hotel for eight? Does that eight hour rule still apply? Or does like the eight hour rule only kick into effect at a certain point?
0: The eight hour rule is required rest on duty. So during the sequence, this is this is actually a three three day trip. So if I worked yesterday, worked today, and then worked tomorrow, those two, you know, rest periods have to be at least eight hours long. And each month, uh, they sent they send out this huge at my base it's a novel because there's so many trips and so many flight attendants, but they so they send out this huge uh bid packet. And then based on our seniority, we bid on these trips. So the longer longer, more luxurious um, trips go to the more senior flight attendants, and then us junior flight attendants usually end up getting, you know, the kibbles and scraps. So okay. we, we we do our best to trade around for better trips, and, and that's exactly how I got this one is I I uh, traded someone for it.
1: Okay, so the whole the whole the trips and the shifts on, on a month where you're creating your own schedule, as it were, the sh- the trips mm-hmm. and the shifts are all created like ahead of that entire month, so you get Correct. to see exactly what you're signing up for. Um, Correct. it's only during those every other months where you really have no idea what the hell you're signing up for.
0: Correct. And that's, that's under our current contract. And when I, that, that has to do with our current contract. And when I was hired, I was hired during, um, a one-off one-on-one off rotation. Once I, once I finished my third year that I only have to do one month of reserve after three months of regular scheduling. So just three months of reserve a month or on call a month. Uh, the the flight attendants that are currently going through our training program when they come out of uh out of training they will be on straight reserve
1: okay so you mentioned the eight hour rule and the Mm -hmm. like 15 hour rule for the max that you can Mm -hmm. work and stuff like that if if you're just coming home like let's say i guess do they always try to like kind of max out your days or are there some days where you just do like two four-hour flights and you just end up right back in Dallas like for like four days straight or does that never really happen yeah You're usually those, these big elaborate trips
0: those trips are definitely available I am not senior enough to hold that schedule <laughs> um but we, we call them turns where you you leave Dallas or leave your home airport work to a destination turn around load up and come home you then you don't ever lay over at a hotel you don't you know nothing you just And and sometimes those are overnight flights. Sometimes they're daytime flights. You know, it just it just depends. They're they're all over the place. So
1: it sounds like a really nice myth how you were saying you're not senior enough to get those things. That being said, you're also younger. And like like you said, like, hey, I'm in Austin right now. It's South by Southwest. This is great. Oh Hey, I'm in this pool in uh, like Puerto Vallarta. This is awesome. Like those things are awesome for a young person. and those and things like, are so why, awesome for somebody who is 50 and already did that for 10 years and now they have right. a family and they want to be home. So it's like you kind exactly. of, your career moves with you as you get it, older and you get more absolutely, seniority.
0: Absolutely. I, I was just going to say, this job is for everyone. If you're raising a family and you can only be gone for 10 hours a day or you only want to work nights or you know or you're like me and at 35 years old decided that you didn't know what you were doing with your life and you really wanted to travel and it didn't didn't matter what the cost was you know i just threw caution to the wind and decided that this was going to be the life for me and i have seen parts of the world that i never would have dreamt of i never would have gone to japan not because i didn't like japan because i had 10 other places on my you know travel list of have to do it before I die. I, Japan just wasn't on the list. I yeah. loved it. It was fantastic. So, you know, it's it's been it's been perfect for me. There's there's a reason why, you know, our retention rate is so high. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are very satisfied with the lifestyle that you can have while doing this.
1: That's so cool. So, let's say let's talk about, I guess, uh weekends and holidays and <laughs> vacation time because let's say <laughs> Let's say you sign up for a trip that ends up letting you off in Japan, but, it's only, <laughs> but you can see that it's only going to let you off in Japan for 20 hours or something, right. and really, you want to be in Japan for one week. Can you <laughs> like request your time off around that time that you get dropped off in Japan and then start working again at the end of your time in Japan?
0: Um, uh, in short, no, but we can fly back there on our own time, and it costs us... Are less than an average ticket. <laughs> okay. How
1: about that? <laughs> right, right, right. So you're saying when it is your vacation time, you get great plane deals. Absolutely. Okay, cool. There
0: has to be an open seat on the plane in order for us to get on. So we're not displacing, you know, paying passengers. Uh, but yes, if there's an open seat on the plane, then they give us a great deal on that ticket.
1: Cool. I'm surprised that they don't, you don't just get to fly for free if, if there's an open <laughs> seat anyways.
0: There are some routes, uh, mostly domestic, that we can fly for free.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Like I, when I come home to California, I don't have to pay for those as long as there's a seat available.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Man, this is uh, this is also interesting. <laughs> that intro and, part really lasted a long time. I thought I, that I, I
0: thought it wasn't going to be so you, deep, but
1: the scheduling stuff is
0: so interesting. It's uh, oh, it's great. And there's a massive scheduling department. It's it. I mean there must be four or 500 people that just work on flight attendant and pilot scheduling. It is, um, and there has to be somebody there 24 hours a day. I mean, we, you know, the the nature of airlines, they are a global company and they do work 24 seven, 365. That's yeah. just the nature of the of the beast. So
1: how many, how many days per month are you spending at your own home? Like how many nights I should say, are you spending at your own home on a month where you're creating your own schedule? And how many nights are you spending at home on one of those months where it's like a crazy month?
0: Um, February was, a so I was on call in February and it was a very light month. Um, I only flew maybe eight or nine days. So I was off for 20. That what, didn't even occur
1: days? to me. So during the on-call months, you could actually end up not getting a lot of work because you just right. don't
0: get called in. And they do pay us a minimum guarantee. So so even though they didn't need us, they still pay us a minimum. Oh, my God. This amount.
1: seriously sounds like the best job ever. I can't <laughs> believe all these things. Know, like, it's right? just crazy to me that you're like, I know it's only two bucks an hour, but it's two bucks an hour and you're know, just getting right? it like right yeah. now. That's
0: yeah. Well, so well, cool. So, so in, in that spirit and exactly what you're saying, what some of my classmates are, are, um, they're real estate agents. They, you know, they've been working at a bar forever and, you know, they can still pick up shifts. I mean, there's tons of things that you can do in addition to this. And, and that's the way a lot of people, we don't get paid a whole lot. I'm not going to lie, but, um, you know, that's the way a lot of people make it work is they minimize their schedule. We can, we have a, um, we have a board, like a social media board where we can, um, drop trips, you know, some people pay you to take their trip. So, you know, if they have, you know, some, something going on where, you know, they need out of a trip and if you're qualified on the aircraft and you meet all the required rest, um, re- um, rest requirements, then you're free to take it. So
1: it's really cool because, so I had a, a friend on the show, um, not too long after I started, who was a tour mm-hmm. manager, which is like a tour guide, basically. And sure. he doesn't get paid a lot either, but he would always save tons of money because it doesn't matter how little you get paid. He's right. not spending anything ever. And certainly, you know, right. you do spend money. Right. You're in Austin for a couple days and you are going to be making whatever it would be, $44 right. a day. That 44 right. bucks a day will buy you like beer and a burger. That's for sure. Right.
0: Right. Um, exactly. So yeah, you're not like game, digging totally into your result. own
1: savings to right. to have these trips.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it is pretty awesome. And we do, you know, in the flight time wages too, we do get paid that. And, you know, I could make it work so that if, you know, I've got friends down here in New Braunfels, uh, which is close to Austin here. And if I would have planned it right, or I can look for a trip in the future that, you know, gives me the same 30 hour layover in Austin. And then, I you know work the trip here. I can do anything I want on those thirty hours so long as I am there at pick up time you know when I'm supposed to be and I've done that you know, I have friends up in Sacramento, one of my good girlfriends picked me up and we went we went wine tasting and she's remodeling a house so I went and visited with her a little bit and i mean it's it's fantastic then you know you're getting paid to go visit your friends to go you know. I do all that fun stuff, so man, it's. Corinne, like, yeah. I
1: interview a lot of people <laughs> with a lot of cool jobs, and rarely have I ever been sold this much on maybe this is what I should be doing yeah. right now.
0: I'm um, telling you, you could do your podcast and be a to do it.
1: Yeah, dude. Good point. Good point. Um, would you like?
0: To, would you talk, like to talk about the the less than fabulous parts of my job?
1: <laughs> I, yes, but let me let me save that for a little bit later because <laughs> okay. I really want to talk about that. Let's talk about the actual uh, just job part in general, good, like good and bad and and different. Um, so we can figure out what that's like. So, uh, and first of all, how did you even get the job? You mentioned that at about thirty five years old, you decided that you wanted to you know try to do something new. Um, a lot of jobs, they say it's like, it's who, you know, and you know, like it it can be hard to get an in, you know? So how did you get this job?
0: So, um, honestly, I was working for, um, another employer went on a work trip and was visiting with a gal. Um, I was kind of frustrated with where I was in my life and just in general, kind of, you know, restless spirit, always had the travel bug, really wanted to you know, see the world, really thought that there was more of the world that I needed to see. And so, um, yeah, I, I was on this work trip and was talking to this flight attendant. She's like, oh my gosh, you live in San Luis Obispo. You're the luckiest girl in the world. And I said, you know, I know that I'm lucky, but I think you're the lucky one because you get to see, you know, you, you get to be everywhere and, and fly around and see it all. And I said, if I had to do it over again, I would have become a flight attendant. And she looks at me and she goes, Honey, do over again, she goes, I'm 50 years old. I started this when I was 47. She's like, we're hiring. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. So this is in May. In October, I had a meeting with an employer about a situation that I've been dealing with, or my employer, but the situation that I've been dealing with, and I wasn't happy and, you know, wasn't happen- happy personally, professionally, in the industry that I was in and it and it wasn't you know it wasn't someone it wasn't it, it just was the overall big picture of my life and I'm like so I had this meeting and I got out of there and I'm like this is stupid you know what am I doing with my life and so I'm dead serious Blake, I googled flight attendant positions available and three airlines came up um this one virgin and uh um alaskan and so I'm not kidding you I sat there for an hour and a half and I filled out all the online applications and I thought nothing else about it nothing just I mean did it real quick total compuls you know compulsive on a whim put in my applications didn't think another thing of it went for a run that night went and you know made myself dinner got up the next day didn't still like completely forgot that I even did it and about a week later I got an email back that said you know thank you for your application um, please fill out this form. And I'm like, whoa, huh? Interesting. So I fill out the form and, you know, I was like, wow, would I really consider doing this? And, you know, I, I really tossed it around and yeah, you know, I think that this could be a really good move for me. I kept it really quiet amongst my friends and my family and, you know, checked in with mom and dad about it and, you know, a few things like that, but really, you know, took my time and wanted to, wanted to know how I felt about it because, you know, people say flight attendant and you, they glaze over, oh my God, that must be the coolest job in the world. But I knew I was probably gonna have to move. I knew that you know this is something completely different. I didn't want to be encouraged or discouraged by anybody besides myself. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, just really kind of did some soul searching about it. And um, you know, as the as the next steps kept coming, it just seemed more and more like the right thing to do. So from application. the start of training it took nine months um i submitted um questionnaires i think they asked for the same questionnaire to be answered three times uh there was a personality test um a physical and in-person interview um so they flew me they flew me out to their headquarters twice and and this is everybody One hundred and fifty thousand applicants went through this whole process you know and it got It's like American Idol Hollywood Week. I mean it, it you get narrowed down, you know, as you go through. And so not all hundred and fifty thousand got flown out to to headquarters, but so out of that hundred and fifty thousand, they hired two thousand. So it's it's actually um statistically harder to become a flight attendant for this airline than it is to get into Harvard. <laughs> wow. Crazy, <laughs> yeah, man. Cra- yeah, it's really crazy. So well, there, congratulations. There Thank you. There was no in, there was no, you know, buddy at the top. There was nobody, you know, rooting for me. It was just, you know, me in a very vulnerable time. I, you know, I was just, I was ready to change and, you know, ready to see the world and holy cow, I'm seeing it. Yeah. That's <laughs> cool.
1: That's so cool, yeah. man. Uh yeah. So Corinne, let's talk about some of the ins and outs of the job. So sure. first of all, let's just talk about like the pre-flight stuff. I always wondered like, do my flight attendants hate me because I'm not paying attention to them right now? Like, <laughs> do you guys care that, that like 90% of the plane is just totally not paying attention to you?
0: Okay, Blake, are you ready for story time? Cause I got a funny story about yes, this. Yes, please. Okay. So, um, we, on some of our older planes, we have to actually do the demonstration where you see us put on the silly life vest and the, the, you know, show you how to buckle your seatbelt, which everybody laughs at, you know, whatever. And three quarters of the time, nobody's paying attention i mean and the other quarter of the time maybe 10% of the people are paying attention mm-hmm. we know that nobody's watching it's a requirement you know whatever i do encourage you at some point to read the safety card in the seat back pocket there is some good information in
1: there yeah yeah <laughs>
0: but hopefully you'll never have to use it right yes. so new year's day new year's eve i laid over in indianapolis new year's day get on our flight Um, It's one of our older planes, and I'm working the number four position. So I'm assisting in main cabin, but our lead flight attendant is the one that does the whole safety demonstration PA. So she's the one talking on it, and I'm the one acting out the whole thing up in first class. Uh, Full plane, um, nobody's paying attention. Everybody's, you know, pretending they're not texting and talking on their phone. They're, you know, all setting up their movies, paying attention to kids, whatever. So we do our demo, put our demo stuff away, we take off and the plane never pressurizes. I pray that you never have to experience that type of pain. So the rapid, you know, rapid um elevation change creates incredible sinus and ear pressure. That is why we pressurize the plane. I could only it Yeah,
1: did, like sometimes when you're, I mean, well, I shouldn't say sometimes, all the time when you're just driving up a mountain, like a mountain road, right. um uh-huh. that happens like you know, tangibly just driving up a mountain road. I can't imagine flying and having it not pressurized.
0: Right. So in, you know, whatever, two or three minutes we increased 10, 11, I think we got up to 13,000 feet and the pilot, um, radioed us back and said, um, we're going to have an emergency landing. The plane is fine. Um, the cabin is not pressurizing. We're, you know, we're dropping as low as we can, but you know, We're very, you know, the plane is fine. The plane is fine. He kept saying that, which was wonderful. He was a great captain. If I had to do it all again with anybody, I would would want him a thousand times. So um, plane never pressurizes. Wait, Corinne, I have to
1: interject here. (laughs) How the hell, like, why did they take off in the first place? Don't you, like, wait to see if it pressurizes before you take off?
0: They go through all the checks, but it's something that doesn't start working until the pressure starts increasing. Ah. So... So it's one of those things that, and and it's an automatic. So most things on the plane have like an automatic feature and then a redundant manual feature. So it was one of those things that we, they could do manually, but they didn't realize that the automatic was broken. Does that make sense? So, um, so they were, they were trying to adjust it, you know, manually plus, you know, decrease the actual plane altitude, get it down to a comfortable position. So, in the meantime, this is New Year's Day. We have lots of families traveling. Um, you know, babies are screaming all over the I was plane. It say, was the this, baby
1: situation. Oh man,
0: it was so sad. I mean, grown ass man, like alligator tears streaming down his face. I felt horrible for him. I had another couple. It was their very first flight ever, and they're like get me off this plane. I'm never flying again. I mean, it was, I laugh about it now because obviously everything was okay, but the pain is, I mean, you might as well stick ice picks in your eyes because I don't, I don't know what else is comparable. Anyway, get the plane on the ground. Um, Everything's fine. Um, They, they do all the checks and everything. Cannot make that that feature work again, the automatic feature w- work again. The captain said, um, we can't, so the, the manual switch is working. We can make it work manually. So three hours later, we load the same plane with half the passengers and tell them everything that's going on. This is what happened. You know, same plane, everything's going to be fine. So our safe back to the safety demo, safety demo. The second time I had every eye on that stinking plane glued <laughs> to me, they're like, uh-huh uh-huh anything you say ma'am yes ma'am anything it was so hilarious and i couldn't help but laugh and i made fun of all of them and you know kind of lightened the mood a little bit but it's like oh yeah you're paying attention now <laughs> you're gonna die last time
1: yeah for sure for sure yeah
0: yeah so um other than that i haven't had any real real terrible you know emergency landing experiences but as far as the safety demo goes we know you're not paying attention <laughs>
1: and, it's, and it's usually okay <laughs> Well,
0: if if that bothered me, then I probably shouldn't be doing this job. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. So let's talk about some of the stuff that does bother you. So like the thing that uh, let me tell you what bothers me, Corinne, is when I'm on a flight and I see some freaking like professional business traveler walking like in front of me that has got a like a full sized carry on with another full size carry on stacked on top of it as if it's like a purse or something, you know, Right. and then the dude takes both and puts them in the thing above his head as if uh, like he doesn't have the common decency to understand like okay if you're gonna be this big of a prick and like bring the two of them <laughs> on the plane to begin with why don't you just go ahead and put one above you and then put another right. one in your the seat but you know below the seat in front of you and that right. guy's response to that is oh well i don't want to have to like obstruct my feet and it's like, right. well, you should like you, you should sooner inconvenience yourself than inconvenience right. somebody else on the plane <laughs> who is now not going to have that headspace. Like, uh, I know. Uh, what do you think about that? Like, I does it make your blood boil the same way it makes mine when people are bringing on like, just tons of luggage and stuff and throwing buddy it there?
0: works works on my last good nerve works on my last good nerve. I'm here to tell you,
1: are you allowed to say <laughs> anything or do they tell you like, don't say, just don't say anything?
0: Well, back to the part where we're only making $2 an hour during boarding and deplaning. We do our best to accommodate everyone. I go through much to the chagrin of much of my, many of my flight attendants. I, I rearrange luggage. We tell you wheels and handles first for a reason. So I'll go through and switch them. If there's jackets up there, you know, I'll make an announcement saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the overhead bin space is shared space. We do ask that you extend your fellow passengers the courtesy. So we use a little, you know, public shaming. Right. Please extend your your fellow passengers the courtesy of removing your jackets until boarding is complete. And everyone has had the opportunity to put their larger carry-on items in the overhead bin Any. Courtesy you can extend your fellow passengers is greatly appreciated. You know? yeah. We'll say we'll say stuff like that. You know, totally usually a little guilt. That is such guilt- in that <laughs>
1: same bucket of people just putting their jackets up there like right away, right when they get on the plane. Oh man. Uh,
0: yeah. Right. It's Painful. Like, what, yeah, put your jacket on. You know that you're gonna get up as soon as you know, as soon as it. Not even when the seatbelt sign is off. As soon as it's convenient for you, you're just gonna go ahead and get up and take that blanket or your your jacket down anyway and use it as a blanket so (laughs) anyway yeah so yes very very frustrating
1: is that part of the coaching when you start is to just be cool like you know don't be uh i don't know that it's not your job to tell people that they're being an asshole
0: yes uh to some extent i mean you have to realize that some of our job is to be the mediator between passengers. So there will be people saying, you know, he took two spots. He needs to take his bag down. You are welcome to ask him to take it down. But, you know, I can't force him. He bought a ticket too. He had higher boarding priority than you did. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, there's only, there is only so much that I can do. I don't mean to sound flippant about it, but That's the way it is.
1: While the flight is in the air, are you allowed to like after you've given everyone their drinks and everything, Mm -hmm. are you allowed to just sit down and hang out or is it like you kind of have to be up and moving around the whole time?
0: We, we are allowed to kick our feet up certain flights over a certain distance. We actually are, are allowed crew rest where we, um, it's, it's nap time and we, you know, rotate out naps and there's a very set schedule. And we have, um, I think on the way to Narita, I had three hours and 15 minutes to nap. Um, on the way to Hawaii, it was more like an hour and 15 minutes, but you know, it's a, it's a time that we're, you know, completely off duty, but during the flight, and you'll see this often, you'll see flight attendants that are doing, you know, you know uh, some kind of a crossword puzzle or reading or doing something on the jump seat. That is totally illegal. Do not take a picture of them and post it on social media. They are not—they are not in the wrong doing that. First of all, that's the only place that we can uh, sit down and relax. I mean, that's our seat. And second of all, every 15 minutes after the service is completed, every 15 minutes we have to walk through the cabin. Usually, that ends up turning into another 15 minutes of you know grabbing somebody a water, picking up trash, all that kind of stuff. But but really, we're we're allowed to kick our feet up too generally it's not all of us at one time unless it's you know a red eye flight and everybody's asleep you know but as a rule well it is a rule that every 15 minutes we have to walk through the cabin um uh, and trivial point that is exactly how they caught uh Richard Reed the shoe bomber do you remember mm. the shoe bomber mm. that's how they caught him was a a flight attendant was doing their 15 minute walk through and he's trying to light his shoe on fire Damn. so yeah crazy, crazy right yeah so uh so yes we are welcome to hang out for a little bit <laughs>
1: okay cool so how is a flight attendant are you supposed to handle unruly passengers and do you have any stories about stuff like that it's always interesting to me that you know i know on select planes there's like hidden air marshals and stuff like that i assume that that's probably typically on like an international flight or some like really long flight so not like a little thing but what, like it's not like you guys are security guards or anything. Like, what happens if somebody's like acting a fool? What are you supposed to do about it?
0: We are to some extent um, required to be security professionals. Um, it, that's the part of the job that they pay us to hopefully never have to do. Um, as far as unruly passengers, the reason that we do not take drunk passengers anymore, it is against the law to get on a plane drunk. I don't know if you and your followers have. Have uh, heard that um, it is illegal to get on a plane drunk. Uh, first and foremost, because your your behavior is now officially unpredictable. We we have no control over you. You probably don't want to mind your manners. So we don't let drunk people on the plane. Um, if something happens in flight, um, we call the captain and uh, we you know kind of have a little little crew resource meeting. We all get on our little phone and talk about what's going on, how serious it is. Uh, generally we will issue the passenger a warning saying, you know, if you don't stop beating the crap out of your neighbor, we're going to land this thing and you, uh, will be escorted off the plane by, you know, police. So, and, and ultimately that is the recourse. And you see those things on the, on the news, gosh, what was it? It was five ladies in a fist fight last week or something, you know, every week or so there, there's somebody did something stupid on the plane and, you know, the air, somebody had to, to be removed by law enforcement from the plane. So um, it happens, uh, you know, it's, it's awful when it does happen. Uh, we try to do our best to defuse the situation before it escalates to us having to remove them from the plane.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Krim, what are any of the other, like not so glamorous sides of this job that, uh, that you think that you should mention?
0: Um, what happens in the bathroom? We have to deal with, And I'm not talking about the Mile High Club. I'm just talking about (laughs) you gentlemen that, you know, stand to pee like Uh, most gentlemen do, you know, when they're sprinkling all over the ground. What is even with
1: people, right? Oh, uh, my God. I'm not
0: telling you y'all have to sit to pee. That's fine. I get it. I get it. You want to be men, stand up to pee. But when you're spraying all over the bathroom, like seriously, now we have to use that for the next three hours. And there's no employee bathroom. We have to use that bathroom, too.
1: Corinne, as a woman, you have no, well, I mean, you know, it's, I guess it's worse for you because you shouldn't have to deal with that. But then again, like a normal peeing human being like me should not have to deal with that. Like it's so bizarre as a man to go into men's restrooms and 100% of the time somebody has just peed like all over the place. Like it's, it's like there was like a, uh, you gave a dog a bath or something and it's like shook off. And it's like, what, what what happens when you go pee? Like how? Right? What, what is happening physically? You should okay, probably see a doctor. Yes. Oh God! <laughs> exactly right. So bizarre. Yeah. I can't so even... so.
0: The other side of that is don't walk barefoot into airplane bathrooms, people. That ain't water on the floor. Come on. And when you go to the bathroom, there is a button that says flush. Flush for God's sake. Flush. As far as the gross stuff goes, uh. Probably the worst of it was cleaning up the the red wine vomit from the guy coming back from London into Dallas. And I'm pretty sure that he took an Ambien and was drinking red wine. And he didn't speak English wasn't his first language, so we couldn't even communicate with him. And that was fun.
1: In full defense of that guy, on international <laughs> flights, you get free wine. So, I mean, how, you know, you got to take advantage of right.
0: Right, we only served him three three glasses of red wine, and then he's wandering around the plane trying to touch our faces. He's literally hitting the man in front of him like up upside the head, like whacking him upside the head. We're like, okay, dude, there's something else wrong. So then, about twenty minutes later, another passenger's like, "There's a guy throwing up. He needs your help." And it's the same guy, and he has, you know, spray painted the entire bathroom with red wine vomit. That was cool. Wow! So we went we went another six six hours with you know, one bathroom down. Yeah. So
1: my wife and I are going to Japan in a few weeks on our honeymoon, and uh, like oh, last so year exciting. we went to Southeast Asia, and yeah. um, and on big flights like that, I'll try to get an Ambien so I can take it on the flight. But I'm always so scared of something like that, like <laughs> that, Ambien. You know, does well, some who crazy knows stuff. what type of like, yeah, like sleepwalking and stuff. You know? Yeah.
0: There, there is legends of a flight attendant that is no longer allowed at our San Francisco long layover hotel because he took an Ambien and walked downstairs naked. Oh, naked. wow. Yeah, so.
1: Right. At least know, it was so at the hotel and not on a plane. That would have been <laughs> no,
0: bad. right? You know, there's plenty of people that, you know, take an Ambien or, you know, whatever other prescription sleep aid and do just fine. But, you know, I'll warn you, limit your alcohol intake because alcohol and prescription sleep aids do not mix.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, So Corinne, is this, is this like the job that you thought it would be, or is it different than you thought it would be?
0: Yes. And no, um, it has fulfilled every expectation that I had. Um, there are parts of it that I thought would be different, but not in a bad way. Um, part of what I was frustrated with in all of my old jobs was that there were expectations for me and then micromanagement so that I lived up to those expectations. And the amount of freedom that I have at this job is just astounding. There's, I've, I had two check rides, so I had, I had my manager check me out, make sure that I was doing an okay job and doing all of my safety stuff twice in the year that I've been flying and we have a lot of peer accountability you know we all make sure that we arm our doors we all make sure that you know we're doing our job we definitely hold ourselves to a very high standard but as far as like an actual you know manager nitpicking what we're doing every day doesn't happen and and i i wasn't expecting that um do i want it some days i'm like dude where's this person's manager but you know i it you get off the plane and your bad coworkers go away and you have a fresh trip in two or three days and everything's ducky again. So, you know, the days that you want to complain, it's just not worth it because really truthfully, my life's a vacation and it does not suck. So, you know, as far as, as far as uh, what's different, um, less micromanagement than I thought there was going to be less money than I thought I thought there was going to be. Not going to lie about it was about a mm, 70 percent pay cut and i was expecting about a 40 percent pay cut so (laughs) i wasn't wasn't completely prepared for that but you know c'est la vie
1: (laughs) just so people can get a ballpark i mean because this sounds like such a kick-ass job so i wouldn't doubt that some people listening will try to go for it what right like what range can people expect
0: to start out unless you completely check your personal life at the door and do nothing but fly Prepare yourself to make about twenty five thousand a year for your first about three years, wow, and then it'll go up from there. Yeah, not going to lie, don't make much money. Yeah, but I mean, you'll make a, a fairly normal salary after about five years. Yeah, you know, and and some companies offer pro- profit sharing, some don't. You know, if if your listeners do uh, do want to get in, you know, into the industry, it's fantastic. Do your homework because there's, you know tens of thousands of dollars in difference between what new hires can make at some companies versus others, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and with that look into the contract a little bit and see if it's work roles that you're, that you're willing to work within. So it's, it's great. I, you know, I, if you're one of those outgoing adventurous type of people and, and you don't mind, you know, surrounding yourself with people of every color on the spectrum meaning like every different personality type, you know, go for it. it. It is awesome.
1: Corinne, I meant to ask you earlier and I totally forgot. So let's say somebody is acting up or if they're having like a problem of some type, um, do you guys have meds on board and like sedatives and stuff like that in case there's some sort of issue? Like if someone starts losing it and they're really anxious, do you have some sort of like shot that you can give them that calms them down?
0: there it's like dr spock on star trek do you remember did you ever see any of those yeah, reruns? Yeah, of course. You'd like stick them in the neck and then they'd be you know pass out there on the ground right Yeah, yeah. so um we do have an in-flight medical kit the only people that can get into that kit is a doctor so we will ask for a doctor on board to volunteer their services to help a passenger in need hmm. um other than that uh we we know airplane first aid, which is a little bit different than regular first aid because we can't call nine one one. Um we do notify the captain as soon as possible and between us and the captain we determine if we need to divert or land before our destination. I, I had a gentleman pass out the other day on the flight. He hadn't eaten in twenty plus hours and had been sick for the last three or four days. Mm. Um, you know, within ten minutes and a glass of orange juice and, you know, some carbs he looked fine again and, you know, insisted that he was just fine. You know, we had him stand up and, you know, walk up and down the aisle a little bit and with assistance and he was fine. He was totally fine. So uh, it, it definitely depends on um, the instance. We are not nurses. We are not medical professionals. Um, when flight attendants very first became flight attendants, they had to be registered nurses. That is no longer a requirement. We do not administer medication. We do not have Advil for your hangover. We do not have Pepto-Bismol. We don't have anything to give you. I guess what, that's a good what,
1: point because you don't know someone's medical history. So right, who right. are you to give them anything if you don't know right. their medical history?
0: Right, exactly. So uh, so you can ask us for it. Um, Generally, the answer will be no. Some that's so interesting.
1: I've always figured, and I was actually talking about this with my wife on the last flight that we were on. Mm -hmm. I've always figured that there was some sort of that you guys must have had like a tranquilizer to give someone that was freaking out. (laughs) Um, You could be on some sort of flight where the the uh, turbulence gets horrendous, and it's somebody that hasn't flown very many times, and they kind of start losing it. I'm surprised that there's nothing that you don't that you have, you know, to give them.
0: We, we can handcuff them and strap them to a seat, that would definitely
1: calm them <laughs> down for sure uh-huh. uh all right, Corinne, let's wrap this thing up what um What sort of person do you think would really like this? What sort of person should steer clear and then like what t- what sort of advice would you give someone looking to become a uh an a uh, flight attendant?
0: If you describe yourself as rigid, do not apply <laughs> you know it, it's It's not for the people that i'm a I'm a total rule follower but it doesn't happen in, you know, in our world. I mean, there's people that put their jacket plus their two over, you know, two two suitcases in the overhead bin and you have to let it go. I mean, if if you're the type of person to dwell on stuff, I do not recommend this job. You know, you have to be the type of person that, you know, it's like the baseball player mentality. You know, every every at-bat is a new at-bat and you have to deal with failing, you know, over 66% of the time, you know, success in baseball is 33% of the time right you you actually make contact and have a successful hit 33% of the time mm-hmm. so if if you're that type of person that can go you know gosh that flight went great then you chalk it up to your wonderful memories but you know the the bad ones you have to look at as you know good stories you know you've got you've got stories for your next cocktail party so if you're the type that is you know flexible happy engaging you know wants to be around people see things do things and, and somebody that's that's pretty open-minded and, and willing to have great conversations with all kinds of different people. I have met the most incredible people on my plane. And unfortunately, some of the people that I loved taking care of the most were in moments of crisis. I can think of two families specifically. Um, both of them had lost, you know, within 24 hours, had lost family members. And taking care of them were was some of my... Were some of the most honorable moments of my life. Like I got to bring them comfort. You know, I was a small part of their journey, but I got to bring them comfort in, you know, a horrible time in their life. And you know, I've gotten to meet war veterans that were some of the neatest people. You know, so you have to be willing to listen to stories and, you know, and talk to people when they don't necess- when you're not necessarily in the mood to talk. And you know, if you can be flexible and happy and you know, a smile when somebody needs it. Then this is definitely the job for you, yeah. you know. If you're if you're willing to be flexible, if you're willing to make some of those sacrifices, this is one of the most rewarding jobs you will ever do. I love it. I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. Who knows? Maybe in six months I'll be calling you up for a job. We'll see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer any question you have. Yeah. It's wonderful.
1: Awesome, dude. Corinne, thank you so much for all the info. This has really been a pleasure. We appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you, Blake. I love talking about it. I'm very passionate about it, and. And yeah, if you wanted to have me on for a part two, I'd do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you, Corinne.
0: Thank you.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.